listeners, my name is Veronica Kim, and you are now listening to Unity in Christ. God bless you. We use that phrase often in our lives. Evangelists on the street or in front of grocery stores use this phrase often. This was a phrase that I heard often even before I started attending church. But is the blessing that the person saying it the same as the blessing that the person hearing the phrase is thinking of? The blessing that the Bible talks about is very different from the blessing of this world. When evangelists say, God bless you, they really mean, believe in Jesus Christ as our Savior and receive the blessing of eternal life from death. But when people of this world that do not know Jesus Christ say this phrase, it means, believe in Jesus and receive the blessings of the worldly things that make your life comfortable. For example, having all the food to eat, having everything you need provided for you, and having no worries in your life. This is what I believed this blessing was at first. But let's say that you believe this way. But after you attend church and study the Bible, shouldn't your understanding of what this blessing is change? What is our purpose for believing in Jesus Christ? We will continue this discussion after the first song. Oh, I believe in Jesus I believe He's the Son of God I believe He died and rose again I believe that He paid for us all And I believe that He's here now Standing in our midst With the power to heal And the grace to forgive Oh, I believe in Jesus I believe He is the Son of God That he's here now, standing in our midst. He will the power to heal now, and the grace to forgive. Oh, I believe in Jesus.
grace to forgive. The story of the Samaritan woman who came to draw water at the well is a very famous story. We are able to learn so much by reflecting on the interaction that Jesus had with this woman. When I was reading her story in the Bible again, not long ago, I began to see myself in the past through the Samaritan woman. What Jesus wanted to give me was different from what I wanted to receive from Him. The Samaritan woman in the story went to the well to draw water at 6 p.m. Jewish time, which is 12 noon our time. This means that the woman came to draw water from the well at 12 noon in the middle of the hot desert, which shows that she was trying to avoid running into other people. She went to draw water when no one else was around. We are able to find out why this woman wanted to stay away from other people through the conversation that she had with Jesus. Jesus tells the woman that she has had five husbands in the past and that she is not even married to the man that she is living with now. It is because of the woman's past that the people in her village thought of her as a corrupt woman and talked about her behind her back. This is why she came out during the hottest time at 12 noon in the middle of the desert to draw water from the well so that she could stay clear of other people. While Jesus is having a conversation with the Samaritan woman, he says to the woman in John chapter 4, verse 14, But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst, but the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. Jesus tells the woman that he will give her water to drink so that she will never be thirsty again. It will become a fresh well of water giving her eternal life. How does the woman react to what Jesus tells her? Let's read verse 15. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty nor come all the way here to draw. After listening to Jesus tell her about the water that he can give her, that will give her eternal life, she asks him to give her this water so that she will never be thirsty again and so that she doesn't have to come out into this hot desert to draw water again. But is that the reason why Jesus wanted to give the woman the water that gives her eternal life? Let's all think about that.
Coming up next is sermon by Pastor Joshua Vincent of Trinity Bible Church in Phoenix, Arizona. Today's topic is Jesus Tells Three Parables, Part 1, based on Mark chapter 4, verses 21 through 34. I hope you have a blessed time with Pastor Joshua. Well, I've told y'all before that I enjoyed college. Anybody else here enjoy college? Have a good time in college? Some of you, I didn't go to college. I don't like college. No? Okay, there are two of you who like college. Well, for you, you're going to be able to appreciate this. I had a really good time uh, in college. Enjoyed it. And not only did I have a lot of fun in making relationships, spiritually, it was a really rich time for me. I learned a lot, uh, experienced a lot of God, and um, uh, grew a lot, I think, in, in maturity. It all started really my freshman year where I ended up going to this gathering of Christians where they said, hey, you're a freshman in a warm body. Would you like to be on the leadership team? And I was like, yeah, that sounds like something that would be good for a resume. So I uh, signed up for the leadership team, uh, started a Bible study on my, my college campus. And um, I, as we started the study, uh, I had never taught before, but um, some of my friends said, hey, we'd come if you were to teach it, no matter how bad it is. And so we started the Bible study, and we really got excited because people started coming. We had some professions of faith, and then we started having other churches ask us to lead these events for youth, these youth conferences. And so we'd have hundreds of youth come, and we get to teach them the Bible, and we started seeing them be encouraged spiritually. So at this point in my life, I'm beginning to feel like we're just spiritually taking flight. I mean, I've led a few people to the Lord, and all of a sudden, I feel like I'm the next Billy Graham, right? And so uh, I, I'm about this point in my life, and show up at my aunt's house. My aunt lives on the beach in Biloxi. I come to her house, and she knows how excited I am about the gospel. She tells me about this friend of hers who happens to be there that day, just across the street at the beach with the boys. That she, He's watching the sons play. As I'm sitting there talking to her, she says, you know, Josh, you should know that he's an atheist. So here I am taking flight spiritually, the next Billy Graham. And I hear that, and all of a sudden I hear basically what is a cry for help to Superman, right? And so, I mean, I'm like taking off my glasses. I'm like, let's go. I'm ready. I'm going to share Jesus with this guy, and he's going to come to faith because that's what happens. I run across the street. We pray. I run across the street. I start talking to Bob. Now, Bob is a captain of these yachts for really rich people. So he rides them, drives them around the world in in his yacht or their yachts. And that's his job. So he's seen all kinds of things. So I start talking to him about how cool that is. And then I start to go into the gospel and whether or not he's religious. And he says, no, I'm not. I'm actually an atheist. And I said, well, well, tell me about that. Like, how did, how does that happen? He says, well, you know, when I was a kid, my brother, uh, who I love deeply, died. And immediately I began to have questions about how could a good God allow something like this to happen? And so immediately I find myself going from feeling like Superman to feeling very weak. I start talking to him about what's happened since and how he views God. And we start to talk about the gospel and we get into it. And essentially we get to the place where he's like, look, I just, I hate God. I will not believe in God. I said, well, can I pray for you? And so I prayed for him in the middle of that prayer. I actually began to cry. And I was crying because I sensed his need for salvation. And I felt utterly ill-equipped, unprepared. Like my words were just weak to be able to save him in the ways that I wanted to see him saved. And so I walked away that day from that beach. And though I stepped onto the beach with great confidence, I stepped off of the beach 
feeling very weak in and of myself and, and, and in my own words. And so as I did that, what I realized is that in that moment, I felt a, a unique weakness. I felt very unimpressive and unequipped. Not the way that I came into the conversation, but very much the way that I left it. I'm wondering, have you ever felt that way? Have you ever had an opportunity to share Christ with someone? Or had a person who you wanted to deliver the gospel to? Who was facing a very difficult situation in life and you wanted to help them? And you went in with great intentions and with a lot of hope. And then you got in the middle of it and all of a sudden you felt scared and small. Well, that's exactly the kind of thing I think many of us have felt. And maybe that sense of smallness has silenced your witness today. Well, I want you to take heart. I want you to be encouraged this morning because I believe that Jesus has an encouraging word for all of us. Now we're right back in the middle of our series, The Amazing True Story of Jesus. And we're in Mark chapter 4, where we're going to see that Jesus tells His disciples, who probably were struggling with many of the same insecurities that we do. He encourages them and He says, I want you to take confidence that God spreads and grows His kingdom as we sow His Word. That's really what we're going to be talking about that this morning. That's this, we need to take confidence that God spreads and grows His kingdom as we sow His Word. Now, I'm sure the disciples needed to be encouraged. If you'll remember, as we've been reading through the Gospel of Mark, they had all kinds of reasons to be discouraged with the things that they saw all around them. All they needed to do is look out and they could see all sorts of reasons that they might feel small and discouraged and ill-equipped for the mission that Jesus was about to send them on. They noticed that even with Jesus with them, there were those who would not believe the message of the kingdom. The Jewish leaders looked upon Jesus with disdain. They wanted to destroy Him. And even the crowds who were willing to endure Jesus' words uh, really were most interested in the miracles. And then, of course, there's His family. And even His own family, His mother and brothers, thought He needed to be medicated. Everyone is looking at this Jesus as He is there as one who is not to be listened to. But more than that, remember. Remember that not just the disciples need to be encouraged, This letter was actually written to a first audience that would have come around 70 A.D. after the disciples. And I'm guessing that Mark knew that they needed to hear this message as they would have been facing increasing heat of persecution for their faith. And so Mark here reminds future generations of Christians just like you and me that Jesus promised the gospel of God's kingdom will go out. It will grow up to unimaginable height. And he does that this morning with three parables. And so we're going to look at these three parables. The first one says, okay, disciples, the secret's about to get out. I'm going to show you what's going to happen. After that, I want to share another parable with you. And what this says is, between when I die and am raised again from the dead and to when I come back, you're going to go through a season of sowing seed. And then lastly, I'm going to share a parable with you where I want you to see until I return and until my kingdom is shown up in its fullness of its glory, this is what the the normal Christian life is going to look like. And so we're going to look at all three of these this morning. But we're going to begin in verses 21 to 25 with this promise that God's kingdom will spread. In verses 21 to 25, we see that God's kingdom will spread. Now, as we look at this, you'll just notice that it's broken up into two little sections. And so we're going to deal with each of them. The first we find in verses 21 to 23. And look there with me again in God's word. Here we see Jesus tell them that the secret of God's kingdom is meant to go out. The secret of God's kingdom, it's meant to get out. 
It's not meant to be kept in. It's meant to get out. Notice what he says in verses 21 to 23. It says, And he, being Jesus, said to them, being the disciples, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed, and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Here we we see this first section of the parable. And Jesus, as you know, has been speaking in parables since Mark 3. And those, of course, are stories really about natural events that prove or teach spiritual truths. And so here he begins with his first of the parables. A parable about the secret of the kingdom of God being compared to a lamp. Now, as you think about a lamp, maybe in your mind you have like a camping lamp, a lantern of some sort, right, with some kerosene in it. Uh, This would have been a clay lamp that would have had an an exit where fire would have come up out of. And clearly, as we know, just back like back then, a light has never been meant to be hidden under a basket or a bed. See, light intends to reveal, not be hidden. Light is meant to be lifted up on a stand so that those who are in darkness can see. That's the purpose of a light. Now, so far in Mark's gospel, you might think that Mark is fixated on secrets, right? I mean, who doesn't like a good secret? Anybody here like a good secret? I know you do. Like, if you've ever had somebody come say, come here, I I got a secret I want to tell you, can't tell anybody. Uh, How many of you go, oh, no, I'm not interested in that kind of thing. No, all of us are like, well, secret. Well, I want to hear that. Well, so far, Mark has been full of secrets. and, And we have drawn in close to see what this secret of the kingdom is. And so maybe you think that really that's all that Mark is interested in. He's interested in secrets and keeping secrets. Jesus' gospel thus far might look to you like Area 51, no fly zone for outsiders. The gospel might look a lot more like, like a top secret than, or the top secret formula to cope where you got like two people that know what it is. I mean, at this point, Jesus has shared the secret of the kingdom with 12 disciples with all of the crowds that have pressed upon him. And so why is it that Jesus is keeping it in so tight. We know that so far Mark has told us that Jesus commanded the demons not to reveal who he is. And then when he speaks to outsiders, he uses language that is veiled in parables. So much so that even the disciples say, I know the parables are meant to confuse them, but we need a little help here. And so, maybe some misunderstood that Jesus meant that they should keep the gospel of the kingdom of God a secret. And that's what he intended. I mean, Mark 11, 4.11 that we just read earlier last week says, to you, being the disciples, has been given the secret of the kingdom, but for those outside, everything is in parables. And I believe here Jesus wants to address this idea that maybe they're thinking that Jesus intended them to hunker down and guard the truth in such a way that you keep outsiders out. Maybe they were singing... As they thought of this, this little light of mine, I'm going to hide it under a bushel. That's right. Jesus responds, hide it under a bushel? No! See, the messianic secret that Jesus has kept during His earthly ministry came locked and loaded with an expiration date. And that's what He's telling us this morning. One commentator who is very helpful, R.T. Francis, says this. He says, like the organizer of a treasure hunt, He hides things in order that they may be found. See, this secret entrusted to a few is destined to be manifested to all very soon. And this secret centered on Jesus' work of living a perfect life on our behalf 
dying in our place on the cross and being raised again from the dead to declare that Jesus has bought and purchased for us reconciliation with God. That's the gospel. See, the gospel reveals God's hidden plan for redeeming sinners to himself. And Paul says the secret was blown wide open. Paul says it was blown wide open at the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead in Romans 1.4. Maybe you've seen this before. In Romans 1.4, Paul says Jesus was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead. You see that? It was openly declared to be the Son of God in power. So please hear me. The secret's out. When Jesus exited the tomb, He brought His secret with Him. Once Jesus ascended to heaven, He sent His Spirit to His people to send them out to tell all nations exactly who Jesus is. And it is the most important news that anyone can ever receive. He is the King of kings. The Lord of lords. The Creator and Sustainer of all things. Alpha and Omega who is both fully God and fully man. He is both the Lion and the Lamb. And as such, the way, the only way, the truth and the life to get to the Father is through the Son, Jesus Christ. There is no other way to find pleasure with God or to please God except through this Son, Jesus, who is the Christ. That is the message, the secret that has been brought to us and made clear in Christ. Brothers and sisters, this is the best news we've ever received. And if you're here this morning and you are a friend and you have not put your faith in this gospel, uh, let me tell you that this news that we're bringing you today, it is for you. Don't leave without putting your faith in this Jesus. He came to save you from your sin. He came to save you from the wrath of God, which is completely just. And God's invitation to you along with all of humanity this morning, is that if you will turn from your sin to putting faith in Jesus Christ and living for Him, you will be saved. And you'll no longer be an enemy of God, but a friend of God and a child of God. Brothers, there's there's no other promise that can be made to you today that is any sweeter than that. Your God wants to be your Heavenly Father who is for you. Put your faith in Christ. But here we also see in verses 24 to 25 something else. Notice what He tells His disciples. He tells them, your return on your investment in the kingdom, your return will always exceed your investment in God's Word. This is a promise. Your return will always exceed your investment in God's Word. Look what he says in verses 24 to 25. And Jesus said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and still more will be added to you. For the one who has more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. I believe this speaks about Jesus' parables, but it's also true of all of the Scriptures, of God's revelation to us. Do you see it? The light that is spoken of here is the message of the Gospel spreading and being understood. And he says, unlike your retirement plan, The more that you put in, the more that you get out. Right? Doesn't work like the world. You were promised this. The more that you put in, the more that you will get out. And it's not a one-to-one kind of deal. See, God says you get out what you put in and then some. I mean, what a, what a great 
small nugget of a message for us. See, we're told here a great truth about the nature of God and His grace. God's grace always explodes the limits of mere reciprocity. God's grace always explodes the limits of mere reciprocity. We always get far more than what we put in. I mean, how many of you would invest in a stock that promised this kind of return? I'm guessing all of us would. And here the investment is listening closely to the Word of God, which climaxes in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And the more time and energy that we invest in understanding God's Word, the more that God Himself promises to entrust us with concerning and understanding His Word. See, those who don't invest lose everything, but those who do invest, they gain more than they can imagine both in this life and the life to come. Now later in 1 Corinthians 2, Paul is going to tell us that he has been given the task of communicating those messages, those secrets, those things that have been hidden from eternity's past to those who have ears to hear. And he says those who have ears to hear are those who have the Spirit of God dwelling in them. And so if we have the Spirit of God, what we are told is we have the ability to understand God's Word. We need teachers. We need gifted helpers in the church to help us to understand better. The Spirit works in community, not just in individuals. We need that. But what we are promised is, is that understanding is there for you and for me. We are promised that. The more that we put in, the more that we will understand. You know, this is one reason that our church is put so much energy into teaching the Word of God. I believe we live in an age and a day where people do not value words. We're kind of tired of words, right? We're barraged with messages constantly, and I believe that we have lost the value and the beauty of the fact that we have the very voice of God that has come to us in the Bible. And so we want to constantly be about the business of bringing people's attention back to God's revelation of Himself. And so we have all kinds of ways to do that. You'll notice we have equipping classes constantly. We have equipping classes on Sunday morning where we have gifted teachers taught by gifted men who spend many hours in preparation, who have given their lives to teaching because they want to help others see and know God. We have opportunities. We actually have teachers who come on Saturdays once a month to our equipping classes. We just had one this weekend. I had a brother spend a lot of time preparing to be able to train others in the Word of God so that they can think more deeply about How God's Word can help you shepherd others and breathe life into others. And the reason He gives His life to do that and volunteers His time to do that, and all these men do this, is because they really believe that your life will be changed as you listen to God's Word and as you hear God's Word more clearly. And that the more that you hear, the more that you're ready to receive. And we do the same thing with our equip classes for men preparing for vocational ministry. See, all of these classes, our women's Bible study classes, these are all, it's not just because we have a lot of people who like to teach, it's because we really do have confidence in the power of the Word of God. Brothers and sisters, maybe uh, this morning you have grown cold to the Word of God and what you need is really more of God's Word. You need to put more of your heart into it, trusting that God has made a promise that He has sealed you with His Spirit so that you will see more of His Word. And as you see more of His Word, you will see more of His Son, Jesus. And as you see more of Christ, the more enamored you will be, the more in love you will fall, the more that you will want to change the way that you live forever because there is nothing like Christ. And we cannot get to Christ except through His Word. But we see something else here. 
something glorious. Uh, Notice that God makes us another promise that is encouraging. In verses 26 to 29, he shows us this, that God's kingdom grows by God's power through God's word. God's kingdom grows through God's power through God's word. Now look what he says in verses 26 to 29. Hear the word of the Lord. He says, And Jesus said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in his sickle because the harvest is come. Jesus is calling 
Heart and Soul Ministries is now starting a new Japanese program and is able to spread the gospel in Japanese. If you know anyone that is fluent in Japanese, please let them know of this program. We hope that they will be able to hear the gospel of Jesus through our CDs. If you are interested, please contact us at our office. Our office number is 602-866-8999 and our email address is heartandsoul.org at gmail.com. Thank you. Following is a program called If Anyone Wishes to Come After Me. Hello, listeners. This is Brian Winston, your host of the series, If Anyone Wishes to Come After Me. Did you take the past week to think about whether you're standing at the door of eternal life or in front of the door of destruction? Are you producing good fruit or bad fruit? I hope that you all are bearing good fruit. Jesus tells us, in Matthew chapter 7 verses 13 through 19 to enter through the narrow gate be aware of false prophets and he tells us he will know them by their fruits Jesus continues to teach us something very important and frightening in verses 21 through 23 not everyone who says to me Lord Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven but he who does the will of my father who is in heaven will enter Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. How did you all interpret Jesus' words in these verses? Do you think that his words are said just in passing to frighten us? Jesus says these words because it is very important for us to understand them, and he is firm in his teaching to us. Jesus tells us that on that day, many will call him Lord. They will also tell him that they prophesied and cast out many demons in his name, and that they performed many miracles in his name as well. It is very frightening to think about the reason for Jesus teaching us this lesson and the comparison This is because people who have nothing to do with Jesus are able to use his name. In addition, they are able to use his name to prophecy, cast out demons, and perform miracles. This is why when we see people who produce bad fruit performing miracles and casting out demons, we must not be puzzled by this. Sometimes people say, what the person is doing does seem a little weird, but they are only able to perform miracles and cast out demons through Jesus. So let's trust them. But we must remember that Jesus teaches us that there will be people out there who have nothing to do with him, yet they can perform these miracles. Jesus tells us that he will say to these people, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. There are still people like that today that are able to perform miracles and prophecy using Jesus' name. 
They are able to predict correctly and able to cast out demons. How are we able to tell them apart from true followers? As we discussed from the last lesson, it is from their fruits. We are able to tell them apart by the fruit that they produce. I hope you are able to distinguish these false prophets by the fruits that they produce and that you are not pulled into believing in them. One must remember that a false prophet is not always part of a heretic denomination. A false prophet is anyone who tries to seize or take away your spirit. Now let me ask all of you a question. Do you all believe that you are wise? Or do you believe that you lack intelligence? How do we make that judgment? Let's learn the difference between a person that is wise and a person that lacks intelligence by reading Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house, and yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against the house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Jesus teaches us about the difference of the narrow and wide gate. He explained to us about how people who have bad fruit will try to lead us through the wide gate. Jesus explains to us that even though these false prophets who try to lead us through the wide gate prophesy and perform miracles, we should not believe in them. Just the same, Jesus teaches us the difference between one who is wise and one who lacks intelligence. What does it mean to be wise? A wise person is one who listens to the words of Jesus and acts upon them. Who is someone that lacks intelligence? This is a person who hears Jesus' words, but does not act upon them. The difference of someone who acts and someone who does not act on Jesus' teachings is the difference between a person who is wise and a person who lacks intelligence. Then what will happen to someone who is wise? Jesus tells us that a wise man is like the person who built their house on the rocks. That is why when the rain fell and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against the house, it did not fall. This is because it had been built on the rocks. But the person who lacks intelligence is the person who built their house on the sand. When the rain fell, floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against the house, it had a great fall. We can learn from the words of Jesus that our faith can be compared to these houses. Then, what does Jesus mean by the rain, flood, and strong winds? Jesus tells us in his Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5, verses 10-12, through 12, Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. For your reward in heaven is great, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus explains to us about those who are persecuted. 
people will insult, lie, and say all kinds of false statements against you because of Jesus. This is the rain, flood, and strong winds that follow us Christians. What kind of house does not fall through all the persecution? How does Jesus say that we can withstand through all this persecution? It is a person who is wise, a person who acts on Jesus' words, a person who built their house on the rocks. If you read Jesus' Sermon on the Mount carefully, you realize that the fruit Jesus is talking about is related to our actions. A good tree bearing good fruits means that a good Christian is someone who listens to Jesus' teachings and acts upon them. Today, because we focus so much on receiving grace, we tend to lose the importance of actions. But grace and our actions go hand in hand. If someone teaches you that your actions do not matter or claim that we should not act on Jesus' words, you must be careful of that person. That person will not lead you to eternal life, but is a false prophet in sheep's clothing leading you towards the gates of destruction. You all must live producing good fruits. It does not mean you earn salvation through the good fruits you produce. It is because you are saved that you should live your life producing good fruits. If a person does not act after listening to Jesus' words, he is a person who lacks intelligence. When it rains, floods, and is windy, his faith will be like the house that is built on the sand and fall apart. Are you all following Jesus? And are you acting upon his teachings? This concludes today's lesson. I thank you for listening, and God bless.
that we all believe in Jesus? Is it so that we don't have to do the things that we don't want to do in this world? Or is it to avoid something that we don't want to do? The Samaritan woman really hated going to the well to draw water. It wasn't because it was hard to draw the water. It was because of her past and it was uncomfortable to be seen by other people. But what Jesus did for her was not so that she no longer had to come to the well to draw water. What Jesus did for her was so that she no longer had to avoid other people by coming to the well at the hottest part of the day. This was not possible because he changed her past. This was possible because Jesus changed the woman Don't you think this is what happens when you come to know Jesus? It is not that we change our past, 
but it is that we change ourselves. It is not to achieve what we want through Jesus. It is to become the person that God wants us to be through Jesus Christ. I believe that this is our purpose for meeting Jesus. For what reason and purpose do you meet Jesus? And what is it that you hope through Jesus Christ? I hope that we all take the time to reflect on what our purpose is in knowing Jesus. This ends our Unity in Christ program for today. I hope to meet all of you again next week. Have a wonderful week and God bless.